Live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O. Morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, greetings. Welcome in on a Tuesday morning, May 2nd, 2023. Glad to have you with us for a uh, for another day. And uh, we start things out in the capital city with breezy conditions. 40 miles an hour back into the mid-60s today. Uh, that wind, uh, I don't know if howling is quite the word, but 15, 16, 17 miles an hour with... Uh, Gus in the 20s before things warm up a little bit here starting tomorrow and those winds go down as well. I uh, got a good show for you today on a Tuesday morning. It's Tuesday, so Joe Jordan, News Channel Nebraska, will join us today at 710. Schedule will be joined by John Baylor a little bit later in the show. And it is election day. In the capital city, polls open a little under two hours from right now. We'll be open for 12 hours then at that point, and we should start getting some results in at 8 p.m., and then every 45 minutes, hour or so after that, we'll have some more drops, and we'll see what we know in terms of who our election winners are by 9.30, 10 o'clock tonight, um, and uh, perhaps there's a chance that even... Toward the end of the night, we won't know for sure who has won a couple of the uh, races. We'll see how that goes. Uh, But, of course, we'll be on top of that tomorrow morning, letting you know what the results were. Um, We will, uh, yeah, it brings to the end a, uh, maybe, I I think it's fair to say, a city election like no other, especially for the mayor's race, uh, in that you've you've got a race that was harder to miss than probably ever before when you had a mayor's race going on just because of the ability for the candidates, for the parties, for the PACs that were affiliated with the candidates to put out media in every possible form to voters, from TV ads to radio ads to print mailers to online ads. It's been pretty ubiquitous and pretty difficult to make billboards. Forgot to mention that. Um, and it feels like a lot of the neighborhoods in town, more so than usual during mayor's races, have been lined with the yard signs, which put an end to that. Some people might think mercifully on this whole thing, but nonetheless, we should have a good idea of what's going to be happening going forward with the city, the mayor's race, not only the mayor's race, but of course, what the makeup of the new city council will be school board as well and airport authority. So don't forget if you uh if you haven't already done it early, get out there and vote between eight to eight today and uh be listening to KLIN for results throughout the evening. So that's what we've got going on so far. Mark, good morning. How are you doing today? Uh present. Yeah, there we go. It's uh it's finally the final day of all of this with mm-hmm. the mayor's race. Uh, I don't know if it's final day or not. That's uh, that's true. We may not have an answer. That's true. At least on a couple of races, one in particular. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll go back and we'll we'll look at some of the numbers from the primary and see if we can't get a little bit of an idea of 
which those races that are going to be particularly close and what to watch for down the stretch. We'll do that a little bit later in the show today. But uh, as far as the results, uh, we'll have the uh, early vote through the weekend uh, shortly after 8. And then uh, they're scheduled to be updated about 9.15 and about 10.15. So okay. A little bit of a new schedule. All right. According to uh that's helpful. Todd, there you go. Uh, Todd Wilchin, election county commissioner. So. so maybe by maybe by ten fifteen we'll have an idea. We should have an idea on some of them, but we will uh um we'll we'll see if we really can make a call at that point on all of those races. And it's I mean it's it's particularly interesting one, and again, good, keep continuing to go back to this mayor's race. Um Tim Hrues and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. This is Ben, one, you've had, obviously, Democrats in power for quite some time in Lincoln in the mayor's office since, uh, what, back to back to Mike Johans. And there have been a lot of, obviously, every four years you've had an election for these. Some of them, a couple of them have been tightly contested. Others of them have not felt particularly tightly contested, maybe difficulty finding candidates, but none of them have been funded anything close to like what this one was in this mayor's race. And uh, it, it'll be interesting what this determines for, for future elections, because you, I, I, I've i said in the past that uh, it felt like at, in, in the mayor's race in particular that local Republicans had a hard time finding uh, candidates that really had a shot to win this thing and then didn't fund them accordingly either. And all of that changed this time around. I think you found a candidate with uh, requisite experience in the legislature, uh, not necessarily at the city level, but obviously some government experience and someone who I think, you know, checks some boxes for electability as well that a lot of the other candidates have. Uh, and, And will this be enough to finally sort of get the scenario that you were looking for in terms of who the candidate was that you were running and the financial backing that you really needed to be competitive in this whole thing. Was that was that the missing piece in trying to win an election here? Or if that's not enough still to unseat the incumbent, Leary and Gaylor-Baird, how do you go to the drawing board for the local Republicans after this? So a lot of those questions, kind of the political questions around this whole thing will be very interesting. And what will the city council makeup be as well, no matter who's mayor? Will you have a... We have a Republican mayor with a still a Democratic supermajority, essentially, on the council. Do you have a Democratic mayor with more Republicans on the council than we had seen before? All of those things are also possible as well. So, that, uh, yeah, it, it is. And, and, of course, even on the mayor's race, you know, for uh, Suzanne Geist to challenge Larry and Gaylor Baird, uh, it's also an uphill battle because Baird, uh, Gaylor Baird is the highest ranking elected Democrat in the state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you've also got that. Uh, and, yes. And so you brought the entire uh, Democratic Party to uh, Gail Baird's um, yes. uh, efforts as well. Um, also had a busy news day yesterday. And I know, Mark, you just gave the uh, update on the latest that we've got on what happened on West O yesterday afternoon at about 2.45. There was an officer-involved shooting Uh, You had the Lincoln-Lancaster County Narcotics Task Force that was out there conducting an investigation around Northwest 27th and O Street. Some kind of a confrontation. We don't know a whole lot of details about how that arose. 
Evidently, um, evidently they figured that the suspect that was shot was actually following the uh, officers. Okay, and which so, is odd, but which, okay. Right, and, and so when that confrontation took place, they realized that he was armed. They did recover a, a handgun at the scene. Uh, one state trooper, one LPD officer reportedly fired their weapons. Uh, the suspect in critical condition at last report. We have not been able to get an update uh, this morning. Um, so uh, the sheriff's office, since a state trooper and an LPD officer, uh, the, the lead agency on the investigation is going to be the Lancaster County Sheriff's Office. Okay. Who didn't apparently have one of their uh, deputies directly involved in this shooting, although they're a part of that task force. That task force is a... Uh, is a joint joint effort between State Patrol, Lincoln Police, and Lancaster County Sheriffs. Uh, I also had, uh, as I was following the story, Mark, and maybe you can shed a little bit of light on this, but they also went to, after the shooting, they apparently went to a Super 8. The Super 8 uh, motel in that area as well appeared to be, I, I don't know if they found out that the person, the suspect in this case, had been staying there, or they were expecting to find more people, or what exactly came out yeah, of that, that part of it. That's you know, it's anecdotal at this point, but there, the someone at Super Eight told one of the TV stations that they uh, they had been in there. I don't know whether they conducted a thorough search or got a, a warrant, but they were there. So, and again, uh, not a lot of information available as of this time. Okay. All right. Um, and by the way, all of this happening, you know, right on West O Street, again, an area, an area that I drive by at least once a week going, uh, going right out there. But that's a very busy area. There's a lot of people around there. There is as well. Yeah, it is. And, um, and, and there are some, some areas in that part of town as well. And I think they've got, I think this was, you know, they were looking at doing some narcotics work was, what this is uh um, yeah, it was a narcot- narcotics investigation underway so yeah i have i mean i'll, I'll say this i uh, was on coming home from driving home about five in the afternoon four thirty in the afternoon uh from dropping my uh daughter and her teammates off at kinetic and stopped by one of those i got a bus stop shelter at one of those places and uh i saw i uh Saw a man using some drugs that were, I'm very sure were not street legal, um, <laughs> that were, that were not. And, um, yeah, it, it was, it was kind of jarring, uh, right there, but had a, had a pipe that was not the kind of the old tobacco pipe that grandpa used to smoke and was using it right there in the, in the bus shelter. So you don't uh, know what grandpa was doing. It's true, but I, I don't think that, I don't think he was. Don't think he was smoking loose leaf tobacco in that <laughs> in that thing. So, uh, and then the other story. This one is is also crazy. And uh, I'm, I mean, thank goodness that injuries weren't involved. Uh, but apparently, yesterday afternoon at the state capitol, you had uh, a, a a woman that evidently authorities are saying now was experiencing a mental health crisis. But this is crazy got out of her car after putting a weight, I don't know if it was a rock or what exactly what it is, on the gas pedal and aiming it essentially toward the state capitol building, jumping out of the car so you have an unmanned car that is barreling towards the the state capitol with a rock on the gas pedal and ended up having a collision with some, uh, there's a tree, ended up going right into a tree instead of the building itself and i imagine the when there was a collision there the rock slipped off of 
the gas pedal at that point and it came to rest there without anybody injured but that could have been a you know obviously a, a very bad situation as well um but my goodness legislature was not in session yesterday so that uh, means there were a lot fewer people around the capitol right right but still yeah it's one of those situations you don't expect to come across yeah uh and troopers transported her to the uh hospital uh to get the assistance that she needed at that point there were no injuries for that one but a scary situation altogether with with that one as well so uh, some of the things that are making news this morning, that's right off the top right now. Uh, anything else I missed, Mark? Anything else we should well, hit? Well, singer-songwriter Gordon Lightfoot died last night. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Wreck of the Ella Fitzgerald, the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Played that on Request Line Friday a couple of times, I think. If You Could Read My Mind is the other one that I think of right away yep. with Gordon Lightfoot, oh. Canadian Canadian artist and uh, big yeah. big star here in the U.S. in the seventies. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Kind well, of that AM Gold era that uh, that he goes with. And then in the uh, in the sports world, uh, Caleb, we uh, we have we had I guess we had a sense that this was coming yesterday, but if you can't beat them, join them. And Nebraska <laughs> finally does get their point guard, uh, but it was a point guard this year that they played against. And saw in conference play Tyler Ulis uh, from Iowa. Aaron. Aaron Ulis, his brother's Tyler. His brother's the Kentucky uh, mm-hmm. now coach. But Aaron Ulis of, of Iowa uh, commits to Nebraska after starting as the point guard for most of the season for Iowa. And so Nebraska struck out on three, four guys that they were going for to kind of play that point guard position. And eventually Ulis was able to come on Sunday. He had another visit scheduled, but the visit went well enough that he decided to make the commitment yesterday. And uh, so he will be in at the point guard position for Nebraska. Not a guy who fills up the stat sheet, I wouldn't say, given kind of looking at what his his numbers looked like last year. Not a great three-point shooter. He's got a good assist-to-turnover ratio and is probably considered a defense forward point Mm -hmm. guard as well and so they'll add him to the mix there yeah i think this gives um this is an interesting addition when you're looking at what you wanted out of a point guard now some of those other guys that nebraska missed out on probably could fill it up a little bit more score a little bit more but when you've got a career what like two to one assist to turnover ratio and you can walk into a system and hopefully we'll find out maybe at the end of this month if Kase Tomonaga is going to come back or if he's going to be gone for good, that's a pretty good guy to go find. Um, so he drives the ball well, plays defense exceptionally. So this is a pretty good pickup. It just changes a little bit of what you were thinking you were going to do with the point guard, depending on the guy you were getting. Yeah, uh, maybe a little bit of a different style than they were looking at with a Latrell Wrightsell, mm-hmm. for instance, or some of the other guys, or the Crease, uh, a guy from Arizona who chose West Virginia, but uh, or even comparing to last year where you had Sam Greasel, he, he could yeah. he could shoot it at a decent clip because he was tall enough, he could just go back guys down and get get buckets in the paint. This is not what you're going to get out of Ulis. Yeah, and you know you've got uh, hopefully ideally he's a he's a distributor, and you've got some other significant scorers who are on mm-hmm. that roster right now, especially for the guard position. If Tominaga comes back and Jamarcus Lawrence, mm-hmm. kind of as your your shooters and your scorers from the guard position, and then feeding it down low to the uh, 
um, the new the new big guy, Mass Dutch Boy in the Paint, as I like yeah. to call him, and 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 really just being a distributor. So hopefully a a good fit. And Nebraska may not be done in the transfer portal. They may be uh, looking at another player here who's got some Nebraska ties, and we'll see if that comes to fruition, too, and Josiah Alec. Yeah, they got to get at least one more. Regardless of K-State, you have to get at least one more. If K-State's gone, then you got to get two yeah. more. Um, now, one thing that Robin Washington of Husker Online pointed out yesterday, all of the transfer portal additions that Nebraska has picked up, they all have at least two years of eligibility remaining. That's a big so, deal. So there's no, as much as it was great to get uh, get Sam Greasel to come in, um, and, and guys like that where it was, okay, one year, you're really bridging a gap, you're really contributing to the program, there are at least two years that you can go and, and get out of these guys to come in and contribute and develop and see what they can take, uh, whatever they can do in year one, and right. then see what they can do in two years. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. That's what we've got going on. Uh, and then uh, hopefully you caught the debut last night of the new Dan Parsons show on KLIN. Had a variety of guests on there. Yeah, a lot of throughout folks kind of a in. quick, quick welcome show. And he's got a busy show planned for uh, election night tonight. Mm-hmm. You want to catch that? You will have the mayoral candidates, both Suzanne Geis, Leary, and Gaylor Baird, will be on the show with him as well. He's going to have Doug Emery in, who we haven't heard from from quite some time, but a city council, former city council member, and kind of get his look at the election night festivities and a little bit of analysis too. And he's going to get some analysis as well from former Governor Dave Heineman. All right. But when he puts on his political analysis hat, uh, does a really good job with that. He's done that for us on KLIN. So uh, a real good lineup tonight. Check out the Dan Parsons Show if you haven't yet. It's our new show from 5 to 6 here on KLIN. All right, we'll take a break with that. It's 625 right now, 37 degrees in the capital city. Wind at 7 miles an hour right now, but those numbers are going to be going up here a little bit later this morning. All right, you are listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. A look at news from both inside and outside of Lincoln and conversation on how that news affects us here. It's time for the Sound Off on LNK Today. All right, let's jump into the things making news on today's Sound Off. Got a lot of of it that I want to get to, and we will uh, start out with... Uh, another update on the uh, 2024 candidates, who's in, who's out of the presidential race. feels like we should have this all set here pretty soon, like we should be about a month away or so from knowing for sure who's in and who's out. But another uh, another candidate whose name had been mentioned pretty significantly to be uh, in that group of people who are running for the Republican nomination says he is out, that person Glenn Youngkin. Youngkin has been a rising star in the Republican Party ever since his shock win in the 2021 Virginia gubernatorial election. But he's bringing months of speculation about White House ambitions to an end, telling Wall Street Journal editor-at-large Gerard Baker he will work for Virginia this year, but some political observers point to his use of the term this year. So while the announcement ends some speculation, it leaves the door open for more. Gary Baumgarten, Fox News. Okay, well, it sounds like he's out, but uh, so that 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 leaves uh, that leaves who? Who are the ones still hanging out there? Obviously, DeSantis hasn't mm-hmm. announced this publicly, but my guess, the fact that he just went on a big international trip, I think that probably tells you what you need to know about his intentions to run or 
not run. Um, Tim Scott had the exploratory committee. It sounds like he's got plans to actually make an announcement. Um, and then uh, Pence hasn't actually announced still yet. I don't think has he, uh, but he would he would be the other one. And then after that, it's you know the other the other names that are still kind of floating out there on the very fringe of this whole thing. Uh, Mitt Romney, Ted Cruz, Christy Noem, uh, Tucker Carlson. Um, Pompeo said he's not doing it, so he wouldn't be in that group anymore. But that's you know that's that's really it. Youngkin was one of those last names that was sort of a will he won't he do it thing with this whole thing. So the field is almost set, and like I said, probably a month from now you'll have a a good sense, at least in terms of any any chance, any hail mary chance of getting this nomination. We'll have the full and complete set of candidates who are going to be. A part of this as well, although maybe you know, maybe I shouldn't say that because you remember four years ago. Remember uh, Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg entered the race, the Democratic race, yeah, really late in the whole thing, and uh, infused his money into that. But he didn't end up, uh, obviously, didn't end up winning the nomination, but was just kind of an agent of chaos in that in that whole thing. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that the earlier you can get in, the better. But when you're kind of the last one jumping in, that that's not as helpful of just trying to come in and be a splash right. candidate right at the last second. Uh, all right. Uh, concerns about drug shortages in the U.S. We've talked about this with some real specific um, drugs, especially those diabetes drugs that are being sold off-label. But it's not just those right now that are starting to give some pharmacists some concerns out there about people getting their prescriptions. Let's hear a little bit more about where this is happening and why. High demand, lingering supply chain issues, and reliance on pharmaceutical ingredients in other countries. It's all contributing to drug shortages here. The University of Utah Drug Information Service says there are current shortages of 301 drugs. Manufacturing issues and high demand have hurt the production of things like amoxicillin, Adderall, and the diabetes drug Ozempic. But cancer drugs are also in short supply. Some are generic, so manufacturing don't stock up as they're not money makers. In some cases, it's manufacturing problems, though. Many cancer drugs are injected, and according to a recent Homeland Security Senate Committee report, injectable drugs are most likely to experience shortages, as we rely on China and India for many of the ingredients. Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News. All right. So there you go. If uh, it's, it's not just that, although those, uh, those di- diabetic ones are in injections, too, but that goes to a lot of a lot of different things here that is, uh, I think, somewhat concerning for people who, who rely on these drugs as well. Um, country of Australia, we've talked about this before. They are probably, more than any country in the world, have been as aggressive as they can be in terms of combating and trying to end, essentially, tobacco use or nicotine use in their own country. We've talked about what they've did, basically grandfathering in legality of smoking actual cigarettes. Well, now they're saying, you know what? We're also getting completely rid of recreational vaping. Gone in a puff of smoke. This is the latest crackdown from one of the toughest countries in the world on the tobacco industry. In future, disposable vapes in a variety of fruity flavors will be banned. E-cigarette products only available from pharmacies in medicinal packaging. This is a product deliberately targeted at our kids 
being sold alongside lollies and chocolate bars. Health Minister Mark Butler. Doctors say they're supportive of the ban but want the government to do more to discourage young people from vaping. Jonathan Savage, Fox News. So in terms of, you might say, okay, well, what is, uh, what situation are they going to be prescribing something like that that you get in medical packaging? I assume it would be part of a smoking cessation plan that's essentially doctor ordered Mm -hmm. is the way that they would, they would do it, but they're going to take out any opportunity for people to get newly uh newly hooked on it and obviously it's a contrast in what we're seeing in a lot of other countries including the united states right now (laughs) in terms of the availability and the uh the the frequency and just the sheer number of places where you can get these things right now it really is staggering it is that all of these these businesses are able to meet their bottom line it does it feels like there's got to be some kind of a bursting of the bubble, not necessarily because demand is going to be going down, but at some point the supply threshold is just going to be overserved. Mm-hmm. I would think in the city of Lincoln because well, the the I mean the numbers are like whoop. Just it, in terms of the it's shop. not even the demand threshold going down; just like the demand seems like it would have been met at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to have enough. You got to have enough people buying these things, and it's uh, I've not sat down and down and done the count. But I can't go for a five minute walk and not not be in the gotta be, within two blocks of one. Like, am I exaggerating when I say there've got to be forty places? That might still be low. I think like that are specific that are just vape shops, yeah, that or are, that, that you can buy that are vape. Yeah, that are that are places that at least um, that are because now they combine them too. It used to be, you know, just these e-cigarette shops, but now they they're more and more increasing them as like full smoke shops, where they're also saying, you know, they they're selling uh, cigars and glass and and those sorts of things, and then in addition to the the hemp products as well that are legal here in the United in the United States because of the Farm Bill and in Nebraska because of the Farm Bill I should have said so it's but the amount the sheer amount of them is staggering and there's a new one that opens up constantly there is a page ranking the best 30 vape shops and e-cigarettes in Lincoln best 30 yeah well if you can rank 30 i bet maybe i was low at 40 I could have I could have easily been low with forty. Seems like just a, a high number anyway. There's a lot. Uh man, did you see any of the footage from this dust storm in Illinois? No, this I didn't. was this was scary. Um and and just and people were losing their life just because it was such an absolute I mean this Natural disaster if you've seen any of the video of this thing. A windstorm kicked up dirt from farm fields, producing blinding clouds of dust Monday. That triggered crashes that killed at least six people. It was on Interstate 55, about 75 miles north of St. Louis. Driver Nathan Cormier saw it coming. It was just the wall of dust as I was driving up to it. Put your hazards on, slow down, and make your way into it. And, uh... People just wouldn't slow down. Police called it a spring version of a whiteout situation typically seen in winter snowstorms. 37 people were hospitalized, their injuries ranging from minor to life-threatening. 
Jill Nato, Fox News. So, I mean, it, you couldn't see it. The, the best The best way to describe it is something akin to when you've got one of those blizzards uh-huh. and you, there's just no visibility. It's kind of, instead of a whiteout, it's kind of a brownout, essentially. But they had 72 vehicles involved in, uh, a cr- in crashes, uh, some the same, some separate ones, in a two-mile stretch of I-55, two semi-trucks also caught on fire with this. Wrecks happened in both the north and southbound lanes, and so it was all the way up and down. The visibility was so bad, mm-hmm. you had unrelated crashes all over the place on this two-mile stretch. They said that was just that was to the north of St. Louis? Yes. Yeah, that's a very busy interstate um, uh, on, on that one. I've been on that one a number of times back when I was in college. Uh, the highway in central Illinois, so uh, Montgomery and Sangamon counties south of the state capital mm-hmm. of, of Illinois is how it was described here. And it, I mean, it was newly plowed fields, essentially, so it was loose. And with these with these winds, it was just kind of the... No, you know, no pun intended, but it was just the perfect storm yeah. of elements to to have this. So, uh, all right, other things that we've got. Oh my gosh, we've got another. We got another spy balloon or something. Maybe it's I don't know what it is. Are they going to shoot it down and exactly. just leave it? Well, they haven't yet. Let's see what the <laughs> uh, what the plan is with this one. The Defense Department is now tracking a balloon of unknown origin after scrambling three fighter jets on Friday in response to an unidentified radar signature near Hawaii. The Pentagon is advising against shooting it down, saying the high-altitude balloon has yet to fly over critical defense infrastructure or any sensitive government sites and reportedly does not pose a threat to civil aviation. There is also no indication that the balloon is being controlled by a foreign or adversarial source. All right, I'm sure it's nothing then. Just let, just let a crash land again somewhere and don't go after it. <laughs> Same thing that is happened with a bunch of the other ones. Uh, oh, you know what this weekend is? Exciting moment. You can get up early on Saturday, very early on Saturday, and turn on your favorite cable news channel or favorite British broadcasting channel, and you'll have a chance to watch the coronation Ooh. of King Charles, which is happening and preps are being made for. And people who are really into royalty uh, in in uh, England are lining up on the streets already trying to get the best view of this whole thing. The mall is already alive with anticipation for an enormous state occasion. That's the wide red road from Buckingham Palace on which King Charles and Queen Camilla will parade to and from the coronation, the prime spot for onlookers. We're doing it for king and country. John Luffrey, one of a handful to set up camp, he arrived over a week before the big day. Coming past here in a gold coach, wearing a crowns, I'll be waving off flags. He's got a foldable bed and bags of food to get him through to Saturday. In London, Jonathan Savage, Fox News. I think a big part of this is that it has not happened in yeah. several decades. Yes. I think that's a, there, there's the one part of it that's like, all right, I, I get like going somewhere, Nebraska volleyball tickets. You start lining up overnight. A week ahead of time, you're going to wave your flag for a minute. The uh, the other thing is, what was the event that we watched j- just before the Queen had died? Do you remember we were watching it, and uh, William and Harry were there, and they were all standing on the balcony oh. with their kids? What? I can't remember what that was. I feel bad. I don't remember exactly what that event was. Was it a birthday? You and I, I don't think so. It was a huge, it was a huge deal. 
in England. But remember, we watched that thing, and there were people who were just lined up for as far as the mm-hmm. eye could see. And I remember looking at that and saying to you, the vast majority of those people can't see anything. Right. Like, I don't even know what they're, mm-hmm. what they're viewing there at that point because they were way too far away from Buckingham Palace to be able to see the actual yeah. royal family. But it was a, it was a procession. What was that? Was it a, was that a wedding or something? No, I don't think it was a wedding. I can't remember. I think it may go back and. It look. was either a, a birthday or an anniversary, or, or an anniversary a, of of her coronation. All right, well, uh, I'll look that up and. Either way, out. though, sure the, the text line will tell the, me the big excitement on this one, both for the people that are one, if you're in if you're in the UK, and two, if you're just one of those people who's really into. The royal family, because we we've always had that connection here from the United States to to that, or just in general, the interest is there because it just hasn't happened. Right. The last time it happened was in the in the fifties. Right. So it, it's one of those things that it's like, well, I realize that he's a little bit further along. Right. And, and it'll probably happen again in our lifetime, but it it hasn't happened not just in my lifetime. But it hasn't happened in my dad's lifetime. So so it, it, it's been a hot minute. Yes. Uh, let's see. So it was uh, the Platinum Jubilee for Queen Elizabeth yeah. was what that was. So, uh, what, 70 years on the throne? Yeah. Was that without? Yeah, it was the, the Jubilee, uh, the Jubilee celebration. And that was back in June. That was just June of 22. That was not even a year ago that that had happened. Uh, all right, other things that I want to got some entertainment news here. So last night they decided they were at an impasse again when it comes to the Hollywood Writers Guild. What does that mean exactly? Well, if there are shows that need to be created with writers <laughs> over the course of the next few weeks, they may not actually be happening. And if this goes a long time. It may go beyond just kind of the daily fare that you see already on network TV. The Writers Guild of America argue that they have been negatively impacted by streaming, saying that they are working more for less and they want better compensation and residual payments that reward writers when the show becomes a hit. The Alliance for Motion Picture and Television Producers are saying it is seeking a fair and equitable contract, but their budgets are tight as they haven't been able to secure profits from their streaming investments yet. The show's that would be impacted immediately would be late night shows and Saturday Night Live, soap operas and daytime talk shows like ABC's The View. If a strike drags on, it will impact the start of the fall TV season. Michelle Polino, Fox News. All right. I remember TV season. Is that even a thing anymore? <laughs> right. Like sort of it is, I guess. Wow, well, that that takes you back to 2006. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but that's one of those things that I remember when they were really talking about as streaming shows were starting to blow up, how, the, how this was impacting writers, because the streaming service could hire these writers, but because you had nothing to nothing really to point to the same way you could ratings and how traditional TV shows were doing, they didn't know how to build anything into the contracts. Mm-hmm. And you could talk about streaming numbers, but like, that's just hey, pick a number between one and a million. Like nobody necessarily knew what those numbers would look like compare comparatively to other streaming services and other shows. Now you have a now you have a really good baseline. You've seen a lot of shows blow up, so I do think the writers have got uh, they've got a decent argument about getting some increased compensation going forward. But 
when this really was a thing several years ago at the onset, it was like, how do you compare it? it like it's at the, when you're at the start of something and you have no idea how to price it, how to draw yeah. up contracts for it. Like there's that, no context for the metrics. Yeah, it, it was just really hard. But I think there's a there's a good argument for the writers getting some out of this. All right, and a loss in the music world yesterday. Gordon Lightfoot, uh, the Canadian singer, passes away. Gordon Lightfoot songs may have been Canada's most popular export with 70s hits like... If you could read my mind, love, what a tale my thoughts could tell. A spokesman says Lightfoot died at the age of 84... He was born in Ontario and studied music in California, producing a blend of folk and rock and pop like the Canadian Railroad Trilogy, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and Bob Dylan thought of Lightfoot as a mentor and once said, I can't think of any Gordon Lightfoot song I don't like. Lightfoot toured the world for decades. He was scheduled to do several shows this year, but canceled them last month due to health issues. Jill Nato, Fox News. All right, and then finishing off, the last one. Speaking of taking one last final tour, that's what uh, Steven Tyler and the guys from Aerosmith are going to uh, be doing here later in the end of the summer, beginning of the fall. Memorial Stadium, August 30th? No, I don't Uh, think uh. so. But they are uh, they are going to stop in Omaha if you want to get a chance to okay. see them here before they retire from touring. Aerosmith fans who don't want to miss a thing, listen up. The band has announced its farewell tour. Aerosmith posting on social media, peace out. After 50 years, 10 world tours, and playing for over 100 million fans, it's time for one last go. The upcoming tour currently includes 40 dates and kicks off September 2nd in Philadelphia, with a notable New Year's Eve show planned in Boston, which is largely considered the band's hometown. The tour's last performance is currently slated for January 26th in Montreal. The band reportedly revealing drummer Joey Kramer plans to sit out the currently scheduled tour dates to focus on his family and health. Lauren Faulkner, Fox News. Uh, If you are wanting to see them... The tickets, uh, or the show, I should say, is Friday, November 10th at the CHI Health Center in Omaha. So, that'd be a good show. I'd go to that one. Yeah. I would. I think I would go. I think, and I think I heard the Black Crows are going to be with them as well. Did I read that right? I think that that is also right. So, that'd be a, that'd be a really good show one last time to, to see Aerosmith and hear those hits. So Last Friday, we did the... The, a song from your first CD. Yeah. It wasn't my first CD, but I had the two CD greatest hits set of Aerosmith yeah. when I was when I was younger. Yep. Yeah, a lot. I mean, that's going to be a jukebox of hits when they do that show. All right, 66, take a break. That's it for the sound off. You are listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. When you're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, coming up during the 7 o'clock hour, we're going to talk to New Channel Nebraska's Joe Jordan about Nebraska news and politics that he's been covering there for NCN. So that's coming up in about 10 minutes. And a little over a half hour from now, we are going to count down the five things people are talking about today with your morning drive brought to you by Stonebridge Insurance and Wealth Management. So stick around. That's all coming up. It is 7 o'clock. KLI and Lincoln.
Drive, live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O. Morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Hi, welcome back. On Tuesday morning, May 2nd, 2023, a.k.a. Election Day in the capital city. And more of that a little bit later. But we are joined now by Joe Jordan of News Channel Nebraska. Joe, good morning. How are you doing today? Good. I'm watching from afar your mayor's race as uh, Democrats are wondering if they're going to be able to hold on to the last bastion of politics that they have in the state. Yeah, it... <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, it's it, there are the the implications for either way that this goes is yeah, I mean if the Democrats would lose this mayorship, it would really feel that way. On the other hand, if the Republicans would lose in this one and and the incumbent would stay in office, the Republicans in the city would probably get to the point of saying, "Okay, what can we do?" Here at this point to 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 get power just because things to have seemed to have set up about as good as they could have for them in terms of the, getting a good candidate and having some money behind them. And so, yeah, you're right. It feels like there is kind of a lot more. Uh, there, there's just kind of a lot more political on the line and what it says about these parties in the future as well. So add that which to is, the whole thing, which is, you know, evidenced by, the, the you know, the governor getting involved in the race. In the last you know month or so, uh, a lot of big money coming in, uh, especially uh, some uh, not necessarily dark money, but questionable money coming into the race. And so all those things raise a lot of questions about uh, how important both sides see this race to be. Yeah, uh, they they there are definitely somebody some there are definitely some people who are willing to write checks on this one, and and they very much. Uh, are are interested in in the outcome of this whole thing let's go to the legislature here for a moment um the heartbeat bill did not make it past the filibuster in the legislature and i don't i keep hearing conflicting things about whether or not people think it is definitely for sure done for this session and i know what that particular bill is but my understanding is that there there are things they could do to other bills to sort of kind of clear them out and put put the same stuff in essentially that might allow for a reconsider i don't know if that's really possible given the time constraints but assuming it assuming it is um the end of it for this legislative session what what do you think is just is kind of next on 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 this whole battle because it's obviously not i think we both know very well it's not going to be in and you know the the people who are supporting changing the law are just going to throw their hands in the air and say well i guess we didn't get the votes this time and i guess we're not going to do you think there's possibility of in the interim between this and the next session uh, another discussion of a special session could ballot initiatives come into play or is this just probably something that we bring up again next january when the legislature gets together again well i i, I don't foresee a special session uh unless unless senator uh merv rippey comes up and he says you know what i'm i'm okay with six weeks and i don't see that happening uh he made his stand on the florida legislature last week uh interestingly enough jack and and, and somewhat underreported um rippey has made the case and you can agree or disagree but he's he this is the case he was making about 12 weeks he was saying 
in, in many respects, that he felt that his the 12 weeks is more of a pro-life position than six weeks. Now, I, saw, I know that sounds backwards, but, but here's his rationale. He was contending that when a woman finds out at, at let's say, week five that she's pregnant, she has, with a six-week ban, she would have one week to decide whether or not to have the child. Uh, Rippey's argument, based on discussions that he says he has had with hospital administrators, because he, he was one, and doctors across the state, his argument is that in that one week, the pressure building, women might be more likely to choose abortion than other options, because they haven't had time to think about it, adoption, um, carrying the, the child to term and what, and what changes might be made in, their, in her life between that, those two points of time. He's contending that by waiting till 12 weeks, now a woman has five weeks of pregnancy, seven weeks to make those determinations, talk with people, get insight as to what should be done. Are you going to have the child? If you are, is adoption a rationale? How would you, how is that process going to work for you? An open adoption, a closed adoption? So Rippey's argument, and I guess people can agree or disagree with it, but that I thought was some of an underreported element of what the case that he was making, why 12 weeks was, in his view, a good compromise. He maintains he's, he's as pro-life as he's ever been. Now, in addition to that, on, sort of on the flip side of that, he made a political argument, which was that as he campaigned for uh, his seat last year, which is basically uh, Ralston and parts of Millard in the Omaha area, uh, pretty much a middle-class uh, uh, demographic, that, that he wound up in the end winning a race that many thought he was going to win by 10 or 12 points by three or four points. And the woman he was running against, a lot lesser known than he was, had a lot less money than he had. Um, she came on strong, and he maintained that was because he realized as he was going door to door that people were really concerned about the abortion issue. And he believes that her, that his opponent's ability to, to come close to him in that race, and she was clearly pro-choice, was because of the abortion issue, that six weeks was not what people in his district wanted, that he could come, he could come up with this 12-week compromise. Hmm. So to make a long story short, longer, I guess, <laughs> I don't see him... I don't see him changing his mind anytime soon. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what would make him decide. Okay, six weeks is okay, and and, and twelve weeks is not the best answer. I just don't see that happening. So that to me takes the special session off the table. Yeah. Now you raise the question of ballot initiatives. I don't know that either side wants to do this, but it has been tested in other states where there's a ballot initiative that you sort of you put a sort of put abortion on the on the ballot. And, and and sort of an up or down vote, do you you know pick your pick your numbers six weeks twelve weeks? You have a petition drive, you get that number on the ballot, and then you know because we we've heard for so long from from you know I remember Governor Ricketts almost without exception would say it monthly if not more than that. Nebraska is a pro life state. Well, there's polls that says that's true. There's polls that says that's not the case. That that there there are more people that that are more. You know, pro-choice than pro-life. Uh, so, we, you know, it's, it's never been clearly defined. Now, put it on the ballot, have a vote, and then you could find out where the state is up or down on on the on the issue. I, but I don't know that either side wants to take <laughs> take that stand because if you lose, <laughs> you know, either side loses, and somebody would probably lose because I don't think it's going to be fifty-fifty. Right. Um, 
you know, so whoever loses, loses a lot. Yeah. So I don't know that that's the way to go. Uh, I don't know that anybody has the, the sort of the courage of their convictions to want to to test that issue at the at the ballot box. So I think we wind up, you know, probably coming back uh, to the legislature next year uh, with with some type of uh, other uh, arrangements made in the legislation. I don't even I'm not quite sure where that begins. Does six weeks become you know ten weeks? I don't you know I don't know. Um, uh, you know, the, the argument by many were that, uh, you, you know, is 80 percent, uh, do you take an 80 percent win? Because, you know, had had everybody, had, had the six-week people agreed to 12 weeks, there'd be a 12-week ban. I right. mean, it would have been there. Ripley's vote would have sealed it. Um, but they didn't, they wanted six. So, you know, it's how much, is, what's the half a loaf you want to go with? I mean, it's... It, uh, now these are moral decisions because people are alleging, well, it does twelve weeks means X number of of uh, you know fetuses are going to be aborted. So uh, it, it's 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 highly you know contentious. Um, I don't think. I mean, you you began with this question of could it come back this session in the, in the final days here? Yes, it could, but it seems extremely unlikely, giving everything else that's on the table, unless they get some. Agreement from from Senator Rippey that he that he can you know make some adjustment uh, or because I don't I don't think you're going to get the other 32 to uh, agree to to move away from six weeks at this point, um, but but as we all know you know it's kind of like a never say never because things can happen at the last moment where some something could could change I find that highly unlikely but certainly not impossible. Do you, do you know what's interesting about this is sort of like the the tolerance on the edges of this discussion seem to be moving a lot very rapidly because the if you go back not even not even a year ago to last fall the then governor ricketts and um what mike hilgers the speaker of the legislature at that point were looking at calling a special session at that time to debate a 12 week ban at that time they couldn't get enough they couldn't get enough support for the special session then they fell short of it so they didn't call it but that's something they they essentially probably that at least those who are um hoping to adjust the law that's something they probably could have gotten during this session if they had adopted Rippey's uh, uh amendment on this whole thing right is, is it, i mean isn't it fascinating you could have like you could have had that you 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 wanted that and you couldn't have it in the fall then you could have had it and you didn't want it in the spring well, the reason I'm pretty sure the reason that, that the 12-week idea went away and six weeks came in was that there was a belief that following the November election that you had this legislature that was, you know, far, was two or three or two or three votes more conservative than the previous legislature, and so they thought there were many that thought they've got enough they've got enough votes. Why not go for six weeks? Uh, a more stringent ban as opposed to 12 because they thought that the election fell in their favor in that way. And, you know, I mean, don't forget Senator Rippey signed on to the six week ban. I mean, he was a co right. co-sponsor. Right. So they thought they thought they had, you know, and, and that tied to, um, and we had a discussion before uh, Omaha state Senator Mike McDonald, the only Democrat who voted for the, all this in the end with his vote and those, and they, they thought they had 33. They really did. And then, you know, Rippey had, had this change of heart, uh, change of mind, call it what you will. But, 
that sort of upset the apple cart. But that's what that's why we went from twelve to six because the the, the conservative spot we've got the votes. Let's push it even harder. We'll go for six weeks. Real, real quick on this, I do want to hit the budget too. But the one thing that was curious, interesting to me, is that Justin Wayne had a present not voting on this. I assumed he would would have voted against it. Uh, is he still a swing vote in this? Do you know exactly what's kind of going on there with him? It's a little uncertain. Last year, he would not disclose uh, how he was going to vote at certain times on the issue. Now he did vote uh, against. To put the it gets kind of kind of fluid, but in the end, he he made a two or three weeks ago he made a pro-choice vote, and um, so it, it appeared that if he was going to vote, it would have been you know against cloture, so to speak. And but he didn't vote, and it's not clear to me why he didn't vote. Uh, I, I think had I think had push come to shove, it would have been a vote uh, against cloture, and um, and the bill and the bill still would have died. Um, but he, but it's not it's not crystal clear where he's at on that issue. Although I think he tends to be uh, more in favor of giving a woman a bit more time to decide these kinds of things. All right, uh, real real quick, last uh, on this, got a minute or two left here. Just a, a, a general overview. We've just we talked so much about these huge. Uh, kind of social issues that we haven't talked a lot about the financial stuff this year. The budget debate is going to get started. Where do you expect kind of the big battles on the budget to come from here as we get into that this session? I think they're going to be fine line issues. I mean, if you're if you're a Medicaid provider uh, in the and in, in, in you're hoping for more money from the state uh, from 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 Medicaid, you uh, your your issue is up there for you. Uh, but we're, you know, in terms, the state has. I, I can't help but forget when he gave his uh, state of the state address, Governor Pillen saying what I'd never heard any politician before in my life ever say is that we have bushels and bushels of money. <laughs> I still to this day I find that incredible comment. Uh, so we've never seen all this money before. And, and for those who don't know, it's because of COVID and the federal government gave the states all this money, and Nebraska's got this bushel basket of dollars laying around and they're, they've got to spend it at some point. Um, so there's going to be, there's going to be tax cuts. You know, there, there's, you know, is, 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 you know, Pillen wants to give the, the, the uh, university of Nebraska 2% looks like the appropriations committee wants to give them 2.5%. So it's, it's, we're, we're, I think we're nibbling around the edges of where most of this money is going to go. But I mean, basic it's, there's going to be, there's going to be significant tax cuts. Uh, but you know, they're, and and the, and the debate will be from the floor, from especially you know from the left that uh, you're leaving the poor behind uh, at the expense of and giving money to the rich. That, that's going to be a common theme as this as this debate kicks in. And uh, but I do think in the end you're talking, you know, when, when you've got when you're talking about billions of dollars on the table, uh, and you're talking about here here and there of you know, fifteen sixty million dollars and how you're going to spend it, it, it it's. It's a little out of whack at that point as to how much cutting uh, either side wants to do right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's gonna it's gonna feel like a real gear shift after the way that the legislature has gone so far this year and the topics that have really been front and center. All right, Joe. Hey, always appreciate your insight on this. Enjoyed the interview, and we will talk again next week. All right. Take care, Jack. Joe Jordan, News Channel, Nebraska, seven twenty five. It's LNK today with Jack and friends on KLIN.
All right, let's get things started today with number five. Polls open at eight for the Lincoln General Election. Mayor, City Council, School Board, Lincoln Airport Authority are all on the ballot, depending on which uh, district you live in for City Council uh, or School Board. So those are district-wide elections. Um, polls close at eight. Should have the results of early voting shortly after eight. Then the next release, starting with today's uh, cast ballot, 9-15, 10-15, and if necessary, 11-15. Will we still be wondering at 11-15 about the outcome of elections, Mark? Will we be I, waiting my, for a final drop? My guess is that we will still be waiting probably until tomorrow or Friday. Wow. That's just my guess. Wow. I mean, this is... Very tight. We're going to go through and look at uh, at eight ten some of the races and and the ones especially that might end up being tight and um, you know the things you're going to see on the ballot here as as we get ready for election day today. But yeah, that'll be that'll be fascinating to see how the primary results translate over to the general. How different the electorate looks because we've said this I feel like a hundred times, Mark, but. The, the the closest races here, whether they're on you know city council, any of these uh, seats, all the way up to the mayor. When you've when you've got a tight primary race, it's really about bringing out more people to vote in the in the general election. Because if you, people who vote in a primary are typically going to vote in an election, right? And they're typically not going to change their mind. Now, I guess there are some scenarios where they voted for a candidate who's no longer in the running because it got narrowed down through the primary, but you're generally going to have the primary, if it's a if it's a party thing, you're generally going to have the, those same primary voters coming and voting the same way that they did a month ago. And so, again, it's about how many new people are coming out and who are they voting for? That's what's going to decide the closest races in this election. And uh, and let's also admit that this, uh, especially the mayor's election, there's been a lot of money put into it, more than any other mayoral election yes. in history. Uh, so does that uh, motivate some people? Does, uh, I mean, it has it's, gotten pretty intense. You know, it's interesting, Mark, you say that. Uh, Tim Roos and I were talking on the show yesterday. There have been years where the mayor's general election... Since I've been doing this show, even where the mayor's general election was going on, and if you're not into politics, if you're not somebody who watches or reads or listens to a lot of local news, like there are, you could have been sort of unaware, basically, right. of what was going yeah. on in the mayor's race, or at least maybe know it was happening, but not really know who the candidates were, what they what they look like, what party they're in, those sorts of things. That's nearly impossible for everybody this year in the mayor's race because of exactly what you're talking about because there's so much more money involved that it's been front and center visually with billboards and TV, any radio that you're listening to, with all the websites that you're going to. You're probably getting mailers that are sent out to your house as well. So I think people are just generally going to be more aware of it than they've ever had with an election. Now, the other side of that mark is, and I don't know how this affects voting, it might not at all, but I think there's also a part of a lot of people who are just saying, let's just get this day over and good riddance to this thing. Caleb, what was that text that you received from uh, from one so of our listeners? So it came in from, uh, from Janelle on the Rickstein Recognition text line. She said, got this last night after the 10 o'clock news from my sister out by Hastings. Says, I am happy as a clam that you're voting for a mayor tomorrow. The rest of the state doesn't give a ding who you elect. 
but we're so tired of hearing about it. How are people at Hastings hearing about it, to be honest? NTV. Okay. And, and so NTV, well, there's the local four is based out of Hastings, but NTV would be west of there in the Axtell area, but those serve a lot of Nebraska. Or they're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on streaming. Yeah, that too. We're huge in Hastings. That too. Well, both uh, Channel 8 and 1011 have uh, uh, presence out in yeah, that Yeah, they serve the, out there as well. Especially on okay. cable cable systems. So. Okay. But, so yeah, that's probably but what it is. just about anybody in Nebraska that goes to a website <laughs> has a chance of seeing a, a digital ad. Yeah, that's probably that's probably true too. If you're re- especially like Journal Star, other media websites as well, you're you're seeing a ton of those. So, so yes, for Hastings, for the rest of the state, for probably a lot of people here, thank goodness we are finally ending this. But as you and Joe Joe touched on, we touched on it earlier. Uh, this race is has some significance on the statewide level because the incumbent mayor is the highest ranking Democrat elected official in the yeah, state. I mean, it, I, from a state perspective, if 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 the Democrats would lose this thing, if Suzanne Geist would win this race, what any sort of strong this was kind of last your last remaining stronghold for a highly ranking position for the Democrats uh, because they don't have the mayor in Omaha. Right, you don't have obviously any of the delegation to Washington. You obviously don't have any. I mean, geez, they didn't even run people for a bunch of the state offices this last time around. Right, and you had two elections in this past year for uh, the first district Congress, and both right uh, came out strongly for Mike Flood. Yeah, so. yeah, and when those have been, people thought those might be close. They weren't super close uh, in the way that yeah. they thought. Yeah, it's boy, it really it's a real come to Jesus moment for that party. Uh, the statewide, at least, party. And I don't know how much of the, their involvement that there is actually in this race. But oh, We got a lot of news releases from them. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but, but on the other hand of this thing, from a more localized level, if if the Democrats win this, if, if Leary and Gaylor Baird stays in office, you've got to be saying, if you're a Republican in the city, you've got to be banging your head against the wall saying, what do we have to ever do at this point? We've got... We've got the best candidate, the most electable. I th- I guess that's very subjective, but I would say the most electable candidate back since probably had Ken Sabota running years ago. Um, there were just a lot of flaws in the other candidates that they had put forward, not necessarily on issues, but for other reasons. So you've got that. You've got money like you've never had before in this race. You think you've probably got some some issue places where you can make hay out of and you've seen that they have on the commercials but if all of that lines up and you still aren't able to get it in lincoln you've got to say what do we have to do in lincoln it's ever gonna win there at this yep. point so it's it's kind of a two sides of the same coin here and it's gonna be it's gonna lead to some soul searching i think for whichever party loses on different on different levels yeah, for whether you win or lose it's uh <laughs> Yeah, heads I heads I win, tails you lose, yeah. or vice versa. Yeah. All right. What else? Number four. Officer involved shooting yesterday out on West O Street, Lancaster County Sheriff's Office. The lead investigating off uh, agency now because both a Nebraska State Trooper and a Lincoln Police Officer discharged their weapons. Uh, not sure if the, both struck the uh, suspect uh, in this case. Listed in critical condition as of late yesterday at Brian West. 
Uh, it was a narcotics investigation, and that's about all we know at this point. The two investi- the two that uh, did uh, fire shots are both on administrative leave, one from LPD, one from the uh, State Patrol. Uh, it was on Northwest 27th and West O, which is a very heavily traveled area. I mean, right, right along. I've driven by that little. It was like an equipment, an equipment a, store, a, a rental, a rental. Yeah, rental, rental place. I've driven by that place a, a whole lot. So it was right, kind of, out in the open as well in the middle of the afternoon. And uh, we just don't know. We, like you said, we just don't know a lot more. Lancaster County Sheriff's Office is going to handle the investigation because, as you mentioned, it was State Patrol and LPD that were involved in the right. actual. Although all three entities are part of this task force. Right, but on this uh, particular case, it was two state troopers and an LPD officer okay. that were in the investigation stage. They were on scene. Uh, the suspect uh, was seen to have a handgun, and uh, there was a confrontation. Were there reports that the, the suspect was actually following them instead of that, vice versa? That, that was one of the uh, that was one of the reports. Yes, okay. and and when they uh, approached, uh, that's when the confrontation took place. All right. Let's see what else we got. Number three. A lady with a uh, mental um, session, a mental illness of some type, health episode. Uh, rigged her car to drive into the state capitol yesterday. Uh, missed. Hit a tree instead. Um, she's being, uh, she was arrested by troopers. Capitol security. Kind of a strange one here. Yeah. I, I, I still have a lot of questions about this whole thing. How are they able to diagnose a mental episode that that quickly or is it just the nature of what happened with that whole thing was there something was there something you know was there a more of a target for the, i mean going straight to the capital obviously um a, a lot of questions still about about this whole thing uh most importantly though man that could have been could have been about if you've got a so essentially a rock on the gas pedal right yeah or something I'm, I'm to weigh sh- down the gas pedal yeah it was reported to be a rock yeah but I wonder if anybody saw it. There's got to be video of it. Oh, I'm sure. And there's got to be a lot of video on the Capitol. Like, just how fast that thing got going. I assume it went when it made contact with the tree. It jostled the car enough that the rock was no longer on the gas pedal. But you don't have to have me spell it out all the ways. That could have been a, an incredibly terrible yeah. situation. So, everybody, glad over there, everybody who works at the Capitol is safe after and after that. The legislature was not in session yesterday, so a lot less people around. So. All right. Uh, next, number two. Sometime in May, another Lincoln restaurant is going to be uh, closing. Um, it was a Reddit user that posted a photo of Shen Cafe's front door. No! May 15th, it says. So what, what is Shen Cafe? It's a it's Chinese restaurant uh, in the Williamsburg area, so roughly... 40th and, 40th Old, and Old Cheney, yeah, okay. right, right in that between, area. Between Old Cheney and uh, Yankee Hill. Used to be the or, old, uh, years ago it was called life. Wind Chimes, it was another restaurant there, they took it over in 2013, um, it was a good, uh, it was good, it was a good place, we went there a lot, no, I don't know, I, that's probably a little over, we we uh, we like to go there, they, had, they did a great job with like the ordering, doing the ordering and call in and they had gluten-free stuff and it was a nice it was a good nice eat-in place it was really sort of a large space i always thought uh but it's a good place so bummed to hear that nine hey. south chargrill last week shen cafe this week both of them have been involved in much madness um 
and they're going to be uh, they're going to be closing this uh, thing up. I, I, I don't think we have a lot. There was a Journal Star article on this, and I haven't heard any more either that from that or the Reddit the uh, the Reddit thread that was out there uh, about exactly why that they're they're doing that. Well, I guess the that they basically said that wanted the the father the patriarch of, of the family wanted to retire to spend more time with with grandkids mm-hmm. so just kind of just kind of moving on here to a, a next phase yeah. in life and restaurant work is a lot of work yeah a lot of work there and so understandable may 15 is going to be the last day open if you want to go have one final meal over there at shen cafe i'll be interested to see what does eventually replace that over there yeah it's been a chinese it's been chinese restaurants for i don't know if there was something in there before wind chimes, but way, way back into the day in that location in that Williamsburg area. All right, finishing up. Number one. The Canadian folk music laureate, singer-songwriter Gordon Lightfoot died yesterday. He was 84. He was hospitalized. His death confirmed by his agent, Victoria Lord. Yeah, very, very sad Canadian singer-songwriter, uh, Folk, kind of folk, folk rock, country as well, and did a lot of definition. I mean, you you think of Bob Dylan when you think of that folk pop sound, when he moved to folk to kind of some more poppy stuff into the 70s. Well, that's exactly what Gordon Lightfoot was doing as well. Um, and his, you know, a lot of, lot of songs about... <laughs> His biographer said a lot of songs about trains, shipwrecks, rivers, and highways, lovers, and loneliness. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I always, I always think of if you could read my mind, but the Edmund Fitzgerald are the two songs that always come up first for me when I'm thinking of Big this. Big Lake, they call Gitchy Gumi. Yeah. So there you go. Thought Fitzgerald was an elephant. What's that? Oh no, that was just what Mark said in oh. the first segment. Oh. No, gotcha. I, I said Ella Fitzgerald. Oh, I thought it sounded like you said Elephant Fitzgerald. <laughs> no, that's, that's a very different. Yes, that's uh, <laughs> completely yes, completely different. Well, uh, I, I'm ripping all these CDs from that music library I bought. And I, there was two CDs from Ella Fitzgerald yesterday. So there you go. My mind went that way. All right, let's uh, let's grab a break right here. It is 7:53. You're listening to LNK today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. When you- You're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, 38 degrees in the capital city. Glad to have you back with us. We're going to have a little bit more on Election Day here coming up at 810. Uh, going to go over some numbers from the primary and what they portend for tonight. Now, don't forget, you also want to join us this afternoon into the evening as we go into Election Night starting with the Dan Parsons Show, episode number two. We debuted last night here on KLIN with a bevy of guests uh, from uh, from all over the worlds of politics and news and the culinary world and the radio world and all over the place. Uh, tonight, he's got a big group of guests as well. He will talk to both of the mayoral candidates, Leary and Gaylor Baird. Suzanne Geis will both appear with Dan Parsons today as they are waiting for the results to come in a couple of hours after that show. Also going to get a little analysis on these elections 
from a couple of guys who have been involved in their own elections. Doug Emery, former city councilman, is going to join. Dan Parsons, he's been through these elections at the city level pretty extensively. He'll give a little analysis. And former Governor Dave Heineman will also join the Dan Parsons show. And Governor Dave Heineman has done uh, political analysis as well on this station before on statewide election nights and he's always had a real keen sense of what to look for in terms of of numbers and what's happening with those those things so he's got a full show with a lot of guests tonight including the two people at the top of the ticket for the mayor's race that'll start at five o'clock go until six o'clock this evening and then we should start having election results tonight a little bit after eight o'clock then a little bit after nine o'clock then a little bit after ten o'clock and as mark said if necessary, beyond that. All right, we've got 38 degrees in the capital city right now on our way today uh, to of a high of 66. The, the wind right now still not terrible. We're out uh, seven miles an hour at the moment. By the time that we get to early evening, mid-afternoon, early evening, should be looking at wind speeds at about 17 miles an hour. But the good news is they relent a little bit starting tomorrow. Tomorrow looks like a great day, 75 degrees with wind speeds only in the single digits. So we will look forward to that. It is 8 o'clock on Lincoln's News and Talk, 1499 KLIN. Live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O, morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the voice of Lincoln, 1499 KLIN. 37 degrees on Election Day in the capital city on KLIN. Uh, thanks for joining us back on the show today. I'm Jack Mitchell along with Caleb Henry in the KLIN studios. Mark Vale in the KLIN newsroom. You just heard there. And then uh, we'll have... Uh, well, we have had Chris Lofgren joining us with Traffic Reports. Uh, John Baylor is going to join us uh, in studio today, 25 Ooh. minutes from right now. I had a chance to go see the volleyball team in Central City, and so we'll get his first impressions of John Cook's squad this year, and first time we've had him on since the... Uh, since they sold out. Since they sold out Memorial Stadium, and uh, find out his thoughts on that. So we have a lot to talk to with him that about. That was a big week of volleyball news in, in, it was. in the spring match, and... Selling out Memorial yep. Stadium. So um, glad to be able to hear from uh, JB coming up here in about 25 minutes. Uh, I did a little going back and looking at the numbers uh, for not only this primary election about a month ago, just to see what it can tell us about what to expect today as you're hearing the returns come in, uh, but also going back a little bit historically. And we did this before the primary, but one of the things that I had just talked about was that the key, I think, in these close races is going to be the getting people who didn't vote in the primary to the poll this time and getting your candidate, obviously, yourself or your candidates, voters that are new like that to outnumber the other ones. Because in most cases, if people voted for the pri- in the primary, they're going to vote in the general and they're either going to vote for the same person or usually the same party that they voted on for the general. So you kind of expect that piece of the pie to be there. It's the new piece of pie that gets added on. Now, in terms of numbers in the primary election, if you're wondering here, we had 58,900 total ballots cast. That is 33.3% of registered voters. So about one out of every three registered voters. 
just for comparison, in the primary back in 2019, we had 52,457 ballots cast. That was about 31%. So in terms of raw numbers, you had about 6,000 more people vote uh-huh. in the primary this time around as you did four years ago. Now, what happened between primary and general four years ago? Basically, it jumped up 10,000 uh, jumped up to 10,000 10, raw votes, which uh, got them up to about 60,000 raw, 62,000 raw votes, which is a turnout percentage of 36.84, which is actually higher than what the primary was this time. If that pattern follows, you could expect to see maybe, maybe someone somewhat near 70,000 votes cast today Interesting. and getting, uh, getting pretty close, if not at that. Forty percent mark. If it follows generally the same pattern of increase, uh-huh, right and now it'll be interesting to see if it's more than that. Just because, as I said, there's been a lot more advertising, a lot more media that's been put out about this race than say four years ago when you had you did have city council races when you had Larry and Gaylor Baird versus Cindy Lamb. I, there's just been a lot more. And so perhaps yeah. that number is more than 40. Perhaps that number is more than 70,000 with this whole thing. When you go through and you look at the primary numbers, and here's why we keep saying we think the mayor's race could go down to the, uh, could go down to the wire, could be burning the midnight oil with some of those numbers. Um, of course, Leary and Gaylor Baird did win the primary, get the most votes in the primary, but... Stan Parker and Suzanne Geist essentially split the Republican vote. Suzanne Geist got right, about right. 19,000. Stan Parker got about 10,000. Larry and Gaylor Baird got about 29,000. And so you add all of those together. You add the votes of Parker plus Geist and compare it to what Leary and Gaylor Baird had. It's about 150 more votes. It's not a lot. <laughs> it's about 100 50 more votes. It would be uh, 29,216 for Baird and 29,400 and change. So actually more closer to 200 votes. That would be the the difference on that. So, again, it illustrates the point. You're going to have, if the same people came out for the primary, and assuming Parker voters go to Suzanne Geist, I, I, I guess there's a chance that some of them don't or change to a write-in, or maybe there's some Parker switching to Leary and Gaylor Baird votes out there. That would surprise me a little bit. I don't think that's going to be a significant group. So assuming this group comes out, you're 50-50. You're 50-50 between the the existing candidates, and then is that 10, 12,000 more people who come out and vote this time. Yep. What's the breakdown going to be of those people? And is is it going to follow the same pattern as the primary? Because if so... That's the scenario where you get down to the wire and you're 50-50 with, the, with this whole thing. The other thing to watch tonight, and now this is this has become the familiar pattern to watch over the last several elections, but since we know the way they are releasing the results this evening, those first, I believe, 815 results, that's going to be pre-today votes. Yes. Those, those are going to be early voting results. And those have typically favored Democrats pretty strongly. Right. So so I would expect when you see the 815 results 12 hours from right now you will see a significant lead if we're just talking the mayoral race a significant lead for current mayor Leary and Gaylor Baird as well as the city council races for those that are blue. Yep. 
as you go on, it's gonna, then it's going to be how much do they close the gap yes, with every exactly. successive update, and now, do it, they do they pass it? Right, point? and and then the thing on that is nobody's out of it at eight fifteen. Right. Nobody's necessarily out of it at nine fifteen. It's it's really are you close enough at nine fifteen when they're counting day of votes and you get the ten fifteen um an, a release of results right yep exactly yeah so so wh- whichever candidate you're you're supporting whether it is someone in the mayor's race or city council or somewhere else eight fifteen comes out that's not the end of your don't night. be misled yeah, yeah. yeah well remember the state results didn't we when we had the the GOP primary a year ago uh Brett Lind- Lindstrom, Lindstrom was yeah. was leading right <laughs> that's remember right that? uh, yeah and 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 that eventually changed throughout the night. Uh, you go through some of the city council races, uh, Taylor Wyatt and James Michael Bowers, Bowers the Democrat, Wyatt the Republican. They were separated by about 400 votes, um, so 6,200 to 5,900, roughly. And so that's one same exact thing on that one. Man, if Taylor Wyatt could have texted me a little bit more over the course of this. <laughs> Did you get a lot of texts? Or... Eventually, I like... Because I, I ignore most of them. So that must he, be your district, huh? But yeah, and he's just one that, that, that stood out. But in, like I've gotten a lot of texts in the past. Yesterday, I finally was just like, hey, stop. <laughs> My wife, I didn't get it. <laughs> Nobody texted me. I just got the direct mailers. But Everyone knows who you're voting for. I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a vote out there. <laughs> yeah, that's good, because I still don't. <laughs> uh, and then in District 2, that was one where you had four candidates in the primary. That got narrowed down to two. It's now uh, Bailey Fight versus... Tom Duden, but you add in, you do kind of the same same math where you add up the Democrat votes, the Republican votes, uh, the Democrats. If you combine Fight and Tian Chu, who are running, that's about six thousand plus two thousand, so that's about eight thousand there. Mm-hmm. And Duden and Peter Cat went seven thousand and about five thousand, so that's twelve thousand. So that's a big, uh, that's a lot of ground for Fight to make up in uh-huh. in that one. Uh, with Tom Duden, and that'll be interesting if Duden wins that one, too, because somebody who's got a law enforcement background, and you've heard him on some of the commercials. That's speak, right. Re- speak to some more. I mean, he's actually spoken to some more specific things than sort of the marketing around Geist has, uh, has. and I thought that was really, really interesting, yeah, too, there, there, with the law enforcement stuff. Yeah, there are times when, when campaigns just talk kind of generally. It's like, hey, well, public safety as a whole, but what what you've heard from in a big part of this is because I hear the advertisements that play, um, and he was on Drive Time Lincoln last week when it was still Drive Time Lincoln mm-hmm. with Doug Fitzgerald, and talking about very specific things, the issues that he has, they're talking about Duden here, issues that he has currently, things that he wants to do going forward, I'm like, that's... To me, that's refreshing when you hear some of the things well, that are specifically what are you going to do. I would have liked to have heard. I know the kind of the go-to was is Lincoln safe or not, and I think you know what I would have liked to have heard more is about what's where is the dysfunction right. more specifically within the police department that there seems to be a large amount yeah. of people, including people who are in LPD, who have who have talked about like where. I understand. I understand. You got a police chief from San Francisco, but help me understand what's happening exactly. Why the you know why the numbers of recruits are down? Sometimes I felt like that whole argument wasn't completely laid out, and obviously it makes a better commercial to say the murder rate has right. gone up. But I think there are legitimate questions about about morale, about 
about the leadership, about the issues that are going on there. But mm-hmm. sometimes it was so much surface level stuff that I felt like even when I talk to people now, I, I have a little bit of an idea of what I hear. But I would have liked to hear some more specifics t- uh, about that from the candidate. And I think Ike Duden started to go down that that road a little bit with the materials that he had. District 3 City Council, uh, Justin Carlson had about a 3,500 vote lead, 8,000 to about 5,000 over Elena Newman. So that'll need to be a, a pretty significant comeback. Uh, for her to get that one. And then in District 4, you had another one where you had four different candidates who are out there. Um, and go, so you've got, uh, you had Siebler, Weber, Reinwald, and Maggie May Squires. And again, they, that was one where they all received, uh, about the same amount of votes in the, uh, in the primary. Reinwald and, uh, Reinwald and Weber went through on that whole thing. And so that is, Reinwald is the Republican. Weber on that is the Democrat there. But, and then, it, it was kind of neck and neck. That one was kind of yeah. neck and neck too when you add in, add, add the numbers. And so, that's another. That's a, yet another. I think two of these city council races at least look like they could be down to the wire the same way the mayor's race looks like yeah. it could be. When you have some of those primary races, it, it becomes how is it really going to look when it's split up come to the general right. election? Yeah, and yeah, I think that that's uh, that's very fair too. And then um, board of education, you know, the district two one. Uh, you had Piush Saravastav, and he had 5,400. Emily Pollan, uh, 4,500. So it's about 1,000. That one maybe still is one that is uh, within the area that you could make up between primary and general. Uh, Annie Mumgard against Elena Brulette. That's 2,500 to 1,600. Kind of that same, about 1,000 vote. Uh, difference on that one, uh, although you had fewer fewer people in that one, only five thousand people voting in that one, and then uh, Bob Rahner, who is the um, who is the incumbent in Board of Education District Six, Doctor Bob Rahner, he's got thir- pretty good thirty four hundred vote lead over uh, Richard Aldag right there, so that would have to be a major uh-huh. that would have to be a major significant gain of votes there. We in had. We had Ronner on several times back when it was Road to Recovery. Yes, in uh, back in twenty twenty yep. at the five o'clock hour. Yeah, we did. So I, I think there are probably you know it, I don't want to don't be go out there and vote today for for certain. I think there are three races, especially, and there could be more, but I think there are three space special races, uh, the mayor and two of the city council races where you might look back and you might say, oh. 50 votes made a difference on this uh-huh. one. 100 votes made a difference. Yeah. I think that could happen in at least three different races here today, two city council races and the mayor's race as well. And so I think those are the ones to really look look at closely in terms of what the results are. I think those are the ones that if we're going to be burning the midnight oil, it'll be that mayoral race. It will be uh, the Taylor Wyatt, James Michael Bauer city council race. In District One, and then it'll be that District Four race uh, that is between Weber and Reinwald for that final spot there. Now, as City to uh, coverage here on KLIN, we will not be going wire to wire like we have for uh, for elections, like we did last year uh, at last year's primary. But we will have some updates. Our own Tom Stanton from the KLIN newsroom is going to. Uh, we're going to have a few updates in the uh, the eight o'clock and nine o'clock hours potentially. 10 o'clock, we'll see how late it goes, and um, if things are really, really tight, might get those, those final results here in the morning tomorrow.
All right. So there you go. Yeah, and with with the potential of three Republicans winning their city council seats, you could have what? You could get get up to a majority on the city council, right? I mean, a a, a really good a, a really good uh, night for the Republicans could be having the executive and the legislative branch. Mm-hmm. A really bad one could be basically staying with the same supermajority of Democrats and having a, a Democrat in the mayoral office. And it comes down to th- three of those races, especially that I said could be, could be according to the math from the primary could be very close, very close votes. And just a few of them are going to be separated if that pattern stays the same. So a lot hanging in the balance in terms of the future of the city tonight. So get out there and vote. Polls are open now as of 24 minutes ago. They'll close up at 8 o'clock tonight. If you haven't voted yet, get out, find your polling place, and make sure and vote. Grab a break. Right now, 42 degrees in the capital city. We've got sports coming up next on KLIN. Waking babies in the North Bottoms have been helping them ace the ACT since the 90s. It's the voice of Nebraska volleyball, John Baylor. And what a bunch of Nebraska volleyball news and content we have right now. No one I'd rather be talking to about it than John Baylor. Karch Karai number two. That's what I call you. It's this Karch it. Karai light. Very kind of you to say. Misty Di- May, number three. <laughs> Jordan Larson, four. Yeah. Very kind of you. Uh, if you can't Mount- get John Cook at your event, yes. I would get this guy. Right. You know. I'm on the Mount Rushmore of whom you want to speak to at 8.30 on a Tuesday. Yeah, it's very kind of you. Or at least the top 15. Until um, 8.40. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, all right. Let's, let's uh, jump into it. Uh, I don't know what it's. I guess I guess we'll start chronologically with things. And yep. uh, I did not think they were going to sell out Memorial Stadium when they announced the volleyball day in Nebraska. You and I, I both. I thought we were talking. Maybe we talked about this when they announced it. I was thinking we're in the forty to fifty range. I think with we this need to. Thing. We need to play in a NASCAR. A stadium, uh, Indy, uh, the the Brickway, Indianapolis. Yeah. You get a quarter of a million there. How about Newton, Iowa? Newton, I, mean, I, I don't know how many you can get there. Uh, you and I buy. I got no I, idea. I drive by a, it all the time. It's a big joint right there yeah. off the interstate. No, Indy, five, quarter of a million people at Indy. And they said we we shouldn't have added the new seats. I think now we need more seats <laughs> in case there are more stadium. volleyball yeah, games. Yes, right. <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. I was thinking thirty five thousand. Yeah, these, I was. I thought a little more. These than Husker that, fans, but. they're insatiable. I love yeah, it. What is it exactly? Is it just Maybe what? it's the opponent. Omaha. <laughs> no, it's not the okay, opponent. Okay, I'm, I'm throwing out stuff. <laughs> I guarantee it's All not right. the opponent. It's the exhibition match. Yep. <laughs> Wayne and UNK. The That's Loper. The it's the Loper That's fans. It's a revival. It's about 20,000 Loper fans there. They'll be fired up. Yeah. We, we, Wayne is already, I can't wait for that drive. Do you think there was, do, how surprised do you think they are behind the closed doors uh, at the athletic department when they... Uh, Fairly. You think so? Yeah. And this, my understanding is adult seats are $25 yeah. and kids are in for five. Yeah. So yeah. I think they're pleasantly surprised uh, that this is that high number. I think it would have been disappointed anything under 30. Yeah. And But uh, anything north of 30, wow. But that, like... Because now you've got a completely new angle to it when you're mm. getting numbers like this, which is, hey, we're getting up there to one of the most attended live women's sporting event in world history. I'm calling Guinness. 
And and at some point, you're close enough to that. If you're going to be within three thousand, four thousand of that, uh, if if you're Trev, if you're John Cook. You're going for it. Well, I'm hearing from lots of folks that even if they're not huge volleyball fans, they just want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we can find 7,000 more mammals, and then we're there. Oh, I don't think getting the people there is the problem. I think the problem is going to be where do you put them? Hey, you got to clear out. Who's this band? Forget the band. <laughs> Get them out of there, and then just load up the chairs. Seriously. If they, I mean, at I think people would be okay if they said... Hey, I know we promised a national recording artist, but we have an opportunity we didn't know we were going to have, and that is to become the most attended women's sporting event of all time. Or maybe you throw up a stage pretty quickly, 45 minutes after the thing concludes. Perform on the volleyball court. Hey. What's a uh, Terraflex stuff? Is that what that that's, is? That's durable. Is, I can is that good? That's good for a band, I that's would it. think. Body sharing. What's the thing when someone's or body just, surfing? You can body surf. They run out stages for the halftime of the Super Bowl. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to have it out there right That's away. That's true. Yeah. You're right. They Pop get that thing up. out in 15 minutes. That's Pop a lot more extensive. Yeah. Or whoever it is, just do an acoustic set. So I right? think there's another six thousand seats on the floor there. Yeah, if they get that, like we're in the neighborhood of a world record, which is just insane. For, people are going to see that when they look at the the the, the Wikipedia page yes. for the most attended, and they're going to be like, okay, uh, huge European soccer match, uh, World Cup from 1999, one of the most famous soccer games of all time, uh, Nebraska versus Omaha, Omaha. volleyball. <laughs> I love it. They're going to be like, what, is that, is that a really big rivalry? Or Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're in Ashland, you don't know which way to go. <laughs> Greenwood, they're torn. But uh, this is a Guinness Book of World Record deal. I'm, yeah. a, I'm, I'm loyal to that publication. I, that was in, When I was in school, there was a battle over that book in the school library. Oh, yeah. Every time you knew who had it. The guy it. with the long fingernails? Oh, oh yeah. They got the, uh, Man. The, the uh, very uh, overweight twins on the motorcycles. Oh, good Always one. Good remember one. Them. And then there was a big dude who was like nine feet, yes. who was married to someone like five feet. Yes. And I'm thinking, she's got issues. I'm telling you, it was the most, there were three popular books at our school library when I was at Holmes Elementary. You got the Guinness Books of World Record. You got a guide to the ghosts of Lincoln, which that is a, that was a library standard. It was a ghost book about like Lincoln. Nice. And then number three, it was Night of the Twisters about the tornadoes in Grand Island. No Encyclopedia Brown? I'm oh. sure those. Are, listen, we liked local uh, reading at at uh, Holmes Elementary back in the '80s. Good for you. I, yeah. I, I Encyclopedia Brown had my Encyclopedia Brown. No, choose your adventure. Choose yep. your adventure. Were big. Nice. Remember, choose your adventure. No. What? You're too old for Choose Your Adventure, aren't you? Well, you're too young yeah. for Encyclopedia Brown. That dude could figure things out. I remember I mean, when there was a spinning listen, egg, I'm he knew say- it was hard-boiled. I'm not saying The guy solved all sorts of stuff. No, he was a great He was a great detective. Yes. I'm not trying to besmirch him whatsoever. Uh, have you ever... Uh, how hard... Let's put uh, Let's put Baylor in the, what, the top row of the South Stadium and see how he does calling that game there. I think I'm going to be uh, held up by a spinning copter right above the... Like some, that's the thing. That's why I didn't think this would quite get to the levels that it is, is because some of those seats, let's be honest, if they're going to keep the court on the one side, on the north side of the field, and you're in the South Stadium up high, it like. You ever heard of radio? (laughs) You ever heard of radio? Listen to it on the radio. Yes, you can listen to it on the radio. You're in South Stadium, bring your headphones. 
That's true. That's true. Hopefully, we have the timing down for that. But is there going to be a guy up in the? Is there, is there going to be a guy up in the very top of the South Stadium going to hey. be like that was in? <laughs> that was in. Like, get, when you're at a match, you just start barking at the refs no matter what your angle is. <laughs> it's like I can see it up here. Ooh. That was that was definitely in. You get yeah. an entire section of the stadium chanting challenge, nice. challenge that one. Yep. yep. Green a green card won't be visible. You need a a green placard. Yeah. You're going to be sitting on the South Stadium and just watching on that big screen, then probably, and listening on, on yes, and listening. One yes, I'm not. Encu- I'm definitely not encouraging people not to listen. Smart, it's definitely not something I would ever consider doing. Uh, all right, Central City, oh. Central City Spring Match, Wichita that was State. Awesome. The dome goes down. Yeah, tell, first of all, just tell dome. me about the experience. Oh, generally. Bison Activities Dome is gorgeous. Seven and a half million dollars. That thing is a college level Ooh. facility. Oh yeah, what Rut- do they got going on in Central? What do they got Rutgers. property taxes up high there. What's happening? Unclear. I didn't dig in that much, but <laughs> Rutgers would swap in a heartbeat, and uh, it was a love affair. <laughs> well, <laughs> that uh, you know the fans were were there. An hour and a half before the gates even opened, which was an hour and a half before the game even started. And they were, you know, 250 yards long when I got there and two hours before game time. And the bus pulls up with the team and they start chanting, you know, the three-word chant. And it was just awesome. It was awfully windy. I was, I saw a lot of like small rodents flying across the road, but no one seemed to be, you know, upset about it. It was just, it was wonderful. And, and, uh, the team looked great. And that was a decent opponent. Wichita State's got three returning all conference players. They got six returning starters. They're going to make some noise this fall. Swept them, though. Swept. Yeah, was, Although the sets were kind of close in, in score, mm, and yeah. it looked like, but sort of. We look pretty solid. Okay, very let's, excited. Well, let's hear your, your t- I know it's only one, it's only one exhibition match. You, you can't just, just a glimpse, a, but. Yes. But tell me, what are you, what were you thinking about? What were you talking about after it? I think it? four of these five freshmen are going to play a really? lot. I remember we got no seniors and only eight returning players out of 14. So right. it's an extreme makeover. And I think four of these five freshmen are going to play a lot. You know Merritt Beeson's going to play a lot. So five of these six newcomers are going to play a lot. And the question is, who are the most impressive? I think Harper Murray is ready for prime time right away because she's a five-tool player. She can pass. She can attack. She can attack with power. I'm using baseball terms here. But anyway, mm-hmm. my point is she's got a lot of tools, and she's probably going to play. I don't know how you keep her on the floor because she can pass so well. And, boy, she's she's ready to back row attack already. I don't know many 18-year-olds who can back row attack like that. Yeah, and because so, a lot of times you've got a, a hitter like that, you've got to eventually develop then into be yeah. able to playing around all the oh, court, yeah. which we've I mean, talked about. Michaela Fecky took a while to start attacking mm-hmm. the back row. I mean, Harper Murray's. I'm not saying she's a finished product, but wow. She's skying over blockers from 10 feet off the net. Pretty impressive. And then Andy Jackson. I knew she could leap. I didn't know about the rocket arm. She's the middle from the Denver area, and she's 6'4", legit. But and her armpits get above the top of the net. Oh, my gosh. And then her arm is just high velocity. So if she gets the set anywhere near where she wants it, it's down before you, you, you faster than 5G. So she's impressive. And this Laney Choboy. Is uh, just Raleigh, North Carolina, fiery at a Raleigh, North Carolina. She's probably the shortest Husker of all time, potentially. She had a phenomenal save going right away, all the way off the court, first set. Yeah, she's only five three, but holy Coach, cow, Lexi Rodriguez towers over her by yes. two inches. Laney <laughs> doesn't have to, you know, be alert when going through doorways. I mean, she is fine. There's plenty of space. Right? She might be the shortest Husker I've ever seen. But the players love playing with her because she just exudes enthusiasm. It's very infectious. And Coach says that when the players got to choose whom they play with on the sand, everyone wanted to play with Laney because she's just so upbeat all the time. 
time. Just a great teammate to have. And I think she and Lexi are going to develop quite the dynamic duo. Um, a little bit more, expand a little bit more on what you saw from Merritt Beeson with the first chance to to see the transfer in, in action. Well, I was surprised that she was right-handed. I thought, you know, she was going to be a Sarah Pavin, Lisa Reitzma, you know, and Nancy Maindring, Metcalf, um, lefty on the right. She's a righty. We haven't played Florida for a while, so that's why I didn't know. And then I watched her on YouTube. I'm like, wow, okay. So typically, you know, someone who's a right-hander, you try her on the left side, it's not particularly that common to have them on the right, usually because you don't have any other lefties. Anyway, Mm -hmm. she apparently, as a right-hander, has really developed right-side skills. Furthermore, she's able to play all the way around, meaning she can pass in a rotation or two if if needed. That's something we haven't really had since Katie Rolson or or Sarah Pavin, a a right-sider who can play all the way around, who can attack from the the back. And as a right-hander, you probably do not want to set her back right, and so they're trying her in the back middle because the angle's a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But she's a refined product and she's a great leader she spoke to the crowd afterwards and very oh, poised very articulate that's interesting very impressive and remember last year as a sophomore she was a co-captain in florida i mean how many sophomores yeah. get other than lexi rodriguez get to be co-captains of an elite volleyball program so she adds uh, a lot um it's just the whole key though comes down to setter yeah oh it's interesting you talk about her i mean you look at it now the the veterans now are the krauses and the bait and horse yeah. and the lexi rodriguez these and, are your and these have the longest tenures right now. And Lindsay and and uh, Allie are are just going to be battling for one outside spot potentially. I mean Harper Murray isn't leaps and bounds ahead, but she looked a little more impressive. And then also, you know, Hayden uh, Kubik had a fabulous. Uh, That's spring. right. Don't so forget that, about her. And you know, she was number four recruit in the country a couple of years ago. So, and she apparently has really made improvement. Didn't have a great match. Uh, the other day, but played really well against Creighton. So it's a it's a four person outside race for two spots, and I think Harper's got the lead right now. Harper, Krause, Batenhorst, yeah. and and Kubik. And Allie came in set three only. I think she had five or six kills. Yeah. And then Andy Jackson came in set three only, had seven kills. Right. Right. I'm, I'm on <laughs> the Andy Jackson spot. bandwagon. How's uh okay then? How are the well setter setter competition? What Bergen, did you see there? Bergen Riley. Uh, she's impressive. Uh, we got to have one of them play really well. And my understanding is that Kennedy played great against Iowa for a while, Iowa against Creighton for a while in that match that didn't get uh, published, uh, in a, it didn't get viewed by the Oh, public. they had a secret match? Secret match. Like a week no. ago, and she played really well. Kennedy did. She had some spinning volleyballs the other day, a little nervous. Um, so, got to have a stabilizer at setter. And Bergen Riley looked Awfully relaxed. I think for these five freshmen, Caroline Juravicious will be behind Merritt Beeson. We'll see. She might redshirt. Um, who knows? She's she's ready to go, but uh, with this level of talent, I don't think we need her yet. So you're anyway. talking Murray, Jackson, Beeson, and uh, and Bergen Riley, then, right? And then Lainey Choboy. And Lainey Choboy yeah. be in the mix, too. So four of those are freshmen, and then Beeson's a junior. Transfer. And then, and the, oh, yeah, Beeson is the, the transfer. That's right. I'm doing a horrible job of managing expectations right now. No, you are. Exactly. I mean, look. But this is what happens when you bring in recruit, recruiting classes that are at the very top. Like, yep. you don't you, you're bringing in the very best recruits like this. You're they're coming in wanting to start immediately. It's just just like uh, bringing in the top quarterback recruit in football. Right, this is they're the, there to start. This is the golden age of Nebraska volleyball. Do not take it for granted. I mean, we had two years ago the number one recruiting class in the country. This year, the number one recruiting class in the country. We're able to grab elite transfers, not at will, but you know, pretty predictably, do not blink. 
enjoy it. And everyone is, obviously. 85,000 have already bought tickets. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we have a, we have a habit of taking things for granted in, in life, not just in sports, and so don't do it. I'll be interested to see how Becca Alec continued. The, the development last year, I thought, was quick and, and really, really came on. be fascinating to see what happens with her in year two. What did you see from her in the little bit? And she wasn't it? featured as much as I wish. I mean, you've got to set the middle more this year than they did a year ago, mm-hmm. so she needs a lot more swings. But I think she, she's your M1. Andy Jackson or Maggie Middleson's your M2. So the M1 is up there uh, alone with the setter on two rotations, so she's going to get a lot of attention. She's got to be able to terminate. But she's just a great leader. I mean, she led that prayer after that match against Northwestern when their setter got hurt. I mean, just mm-hmm. instinctively. I mean, she's really something for an 18, 19-year-old. So a lot of intangibles, a lot of leaders. You know, one thing that Krause brings that, uh, and we'll see if anyone else has it, she's really fiery. I mean, Choboy is enthusiastic and excited and all that, and that's great. She's already on my all-time Husker celebra- celebration nice. team. Nice, that's good. We're going to need something like that after Nicklin is gone. So We need someone who's kind of tough. And like, not mean, but like, really, like, let's go, let's get them. And I think Krause's got a little bit of that in her. And, um, and so, but she can't just be a part time player. She's got to be a full time player yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, being Alec too. Yeah. So, who, you know, who's got that? You yeah. know, you know, guys, we got to, we got we to gotta go right now. Let's go, like, not just let's go, but like that fiery. Hey. She might have her. Uh, she might have her brother joining her too on the University of Campus men's basketball team. Potentially, uh, potentially bringing him in as a transfer here. So former North Star standout. Nice. Yeah. Becca Alex. Yes. Okay. Got it. Not Becca Lindsay. Alex, Cr- sorry. Not Lindsey Krause. Sorry. Becca Alex. Yeah. I'm, I'm searching the the siblings of all the players. Sorry. On Becca the team. Alex brother. Yes. Yep. Becca uh, Alex brother. Uh, might play hoops here. Yeah, might might play uh, might play hoops here. Somebody that uh, Fred Hoiberg is looking at very closely right now, and hopefully he can get him to come in here because they could use a few more bodies for uh, that team. Uh, don't have any schedule yet at this point. Some of the the fall sports schedules are starting to take little shape. I mean, goodness, we already got the basketball uh, home and away the home and home and away wow. Big Ten schedules, and we got nothing for volleyball yet. We got what? the non conference, but not the conference schedule yet. Which okay, and none of it's me. public yet, other than the Omaha game, though. So. If you're trying to plan weddings and stuff, this yeah. is awfully late. Well, I'm just curious. I like to get it on my calendar. I like to figure yes. out those weekends. I like to. I like to have something to look forward. to. Listen, know. I'm a Kansas City Royals fan, JB. Oh, so you got. Pull. I I lo- I am looking for. I am already thinking about the next sports season. I'm looking for football and volleyball to get going when, ASAP. Whenever you think you're in the dumps, life's not going very well. Just remember. 2014 and 15. I the always Can- have that. The Kansas City Royals made the World Series. Still hard to believe. It. I was at Game One of 2014. I'm. I. Every, the whole place was just celebrating. Like I can't. We're. This is the World Series game. We're in Kansas City. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. And then boom, like that, they fall off a cliff. Yep. Uh, I know it's been eight years, but still. It has been, and they've been at the bottom at the end of that cliff, and this year is the worst part of the cliff after they got a new manager. Six wins. But there's going to be a new... Six wins. That's it? Six wins. Yeah. But they're going to build a downtown stadium. That's going to change everything. Yeah, that might not be happening if this keeps going. Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm just thinking these infielders are going to start picking up ground balls if they're downtown. Yeah. Like, suddenly those hitters are going to stop striking out and start, you know, sending them over the fence. I'll be sad if Kaufman goes. Why? Seven and twenty-two. You need waterfalls. Why? You need waterfalls. Yeah, it's a beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's a good, for an old stadium, for yeah, an old kind good. of built in that era. All of take the other ballparks that were built in that era, and none of them has longevity. That good that point. One I like the waterfalls, but location. Baseball is supposed to be downtown. You know, afterwards you get out. <laughs> know, that, water, 
Old that, red brick. That area around Kaufman and Arrowhead yeah. seems really nice, John. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think, I, I think I, they got the land about 60 years ago pretty cheap. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. It hasn't really increased in value I since know. then either. It's a nice stadium, but wrong location. Yeah. All right, JB. Good to talk to you. Glad we that's have some it. news to talk about. That, I mean, we got to end the show. we gotta, we got to get... These yeah. advertisers, I do love them, though. Yeah, well, it might be a little bit less of an advertising load starting tomorrow, I think. Oh, we'll fewer angry ads. Yeah. Can someone, we'll before the day is over, tell me if we have more police officers now or fewer? All right, we'll figure that out <laughs> before you Depends on the commercial I see. <laughs> Can we count in this town? Just start counting by ones. I mean, what, it, give me an answer. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Save 55. Thank you to JB for joining us. It's LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. Neurologist from Byron. You're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, that is it for the show. We ended on 43 degrees in the capital city. And this afternoon, don't miss the Dan Parsons show. He's got a great list of guests. Maybe on the way to vote, maybe on the way back to vote, the way home from work, whatever it is. But you'll hear from both mayoral candidates, Leary and Gaylor Baird, Suzanne Geis, both scheduled to appear on the Dan Parsons show. And then maybe a little bit more of an analytical view from the outside, but people who have been in some similar races over the years. We'll have Doug Emery, former city councilman, joining the Dan Parsons show, plus former governor Dave Heineman will also be on the show just to give kind of some of their their thoughts and what to look for tonight in the vote counting. So that's coming up 5 to 6 with Dan Parsons, episode 2 of the Dan Parsons Show. We'll be back here tomorrow. Got our uh, what Chap Tried Wednesday coming up. So be looking for the Facebook post for that late this afternoon. If you want to get in on that, Lincoln Symphony Orchestra is going to join us. John Bishop as well. So we are busy and set up for a Wednesday morning. All right, that's it for us today. We'll have a great, uh, have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow. It is 9 o'clock on Lincoln's News and Talk, 1499.3 KLIN.